Hi everyone, I'm Claire and I work at Watershed in Bristol. Uh, we're an arts organisation, we're a conference centre, we're a cafe, we're a cinema and we also have something called the Pervasive Media Studio. And so for the last seven or so years I've bringing together artists, technologists, academics, um, people who work in space research to people who work in dance to think about new kinds of experiences in public spaces. And the Playable City is um, a kind of term that we coined to describe something that's going on all over the world. I'm not suggesting that it's, it's a kind of exclusively ours. But for us, it's an annual international award, a series of labs and workshops. And next week, um, it's a conference for the first time. We launched Playable City three years ago. And if I'd been giving that talk then, or even perhaps three weeks ago, I might have started with this. Um, and I might have talked about the fact that I'm worried about smart cities. I might have said we were anti-smart cities or a counterpoint to smart cities. I might have talked about how um, the efficiency and the coldness of uh, smart cities and, and these kinds of visions of what our future would like scare me. I might have lamented uh, where the serendipity in our cities is going. I might have yearned for a piss-stained alley with a cocktail bar hidden inside it. But recently, a consultant that we work with reminded me that it's better to be for something than against something. So this is kind of what we're for at the moment. This quote reminded me um, why I think that making playful interventions in cities is important. And if, like Patrick Geddes said back in 1904, that a city is a drama, it needs a cast, a crew, audience, and critics. A play that's only made by stage managers will probably be rubbish. It's true that for our cities to be truly dramatic, they need a mixed cast of players. This was um, another uh, town planning, the art of relationships. I really like that too. It, it describes people. And I think actually probably this talk is about people and people's relationship to the cities, not really about technology or the cities themselves. So I'm going to talk, um, I'm going to do a little bit of play theory, but I am no means the best person to talk about play theory. But I'm going to share three thoughts. One is from Miguel Sickhart's new book, Why We Play. He talks about play as a powerful manifestation of our being in the world. Play is a form of understanding what surrounds us and who we are. Play is a mode of being human. We work with a brilliant artist called Team Betch, and she talks about the benefits of physical play, I guess in juxtaposition to screen-based play, as creating stronger and longer-lasting social bonds. And in uh, a piece of work called The Exploratory Model of Play, which is by the authors up there, and you might know why I'm not reading those ones out, um, they talk about play as grounded in the concept of possibility. We spend a lot of time thinking about what is actual, I think in cities we spend a lot of time blaming stuff on other people, waiting for people to fix things for us, waiting for governments or local councils to intervene. So perhaps introducing play to the city balances out that kind of lethargy. The inevitability of city life is injected with a kind of sense of possibility, a sense that we're part of a network, but also crucially that we have some agency in it. All around the world, uh, this sense of play is breaking out in cities. It's a kind of meme. It creates a new physical experience that confounds, engages, and creates this sense of possibility. 
This is the Utrecht Travel Accelerator, or a slide. Um, it was designed to encourage more people to use public transport. Actually, pretty much no one used it, because in their words, they didn't want to get fat like Americans. This is Sydney Harbour Bridge, a slightly pixelated Sydney Harbour Bridge. And in 2009, 6,000 people gathered to enjoy breakfast on what is usually eight lanes of busy motorway. But for one day, there was this kind of celebration of the city. This is uh, a way to bounce to work in Russia. And I called this talk Memes for Cities, but I could also have called it Mimes for Cities because uh, the brilliantly named Colombian mayor, Mayor Mocus, introduced traffic mimes to Bogota. Bogota had terrible traffic, people really misbehaved, and so he, he sent 420 of these mime artists out onto the streets because he felt that people were more scared of looking silly than they were scared of being fined. In Bristol, an artist called Luke Jerram crowdfunded for a water slide, which was temporarily installed in Park Street, which is one of our steepest hills. It's a little film about it. I was lucky enough to go down the slide, and it was actually much faster um, than it looked. And one of the things I really like about that project is Luke being um, the entrepreneur that he is. He sold the instructions of how to do that to five other cities. Um, he's given the money to WaterAid, though. So while these are brilliant, inspiring, playful interventions into city life, um, for me, I don't actually think they're playable city projects anymore. They do point to a scale, a sense of fun, and a sense of possibility that I love and I'm inspired by. But playable city, I think, is trying to do something different. We're trying to reuse the city's infrastructure to animate itself connecting citizens to their own cities and to each other in surprising, challenging, and entertaining ways. By using what's there and augmenting or animating or hacking it, we hope to transform that sense of possibility into a vehicle for freedom, interaction, and dialogue. So take the humble bus stop, which is a ubiquitous piece of city infrastructure. This project in Baltimore reinvents it. This project in Russia hacks it. This intervention by Pepsi appropriates it. And this amazing project called 21 Swings in Montreal, which you should look up, simply mimics it. So whilst it's brilliant, it's not really a playable city project in my mind. Playable city projects riff off the city. They reappropriate what's there and use a city as a canvas for play, as a set that you could never afford. Uh, Simon and Simon, who are the two creatives behind Slingshot, invite you in 2.8 hours later, a zombie chase game, to experience the city in a completely different way. To survive, you must collaborate with people you don't know. Um, it challenges you to go to places you might not normally go. And long after the memories of those zombies and the massive ache in your legs from running around the city for three hours has gone, the memories of hiding behind a rubbish bin to kind of outwit a zombie remain. 2.8 hours later, and the new version of it, Asylum, which I think is touring at the moment, is a grittier, dirtier, scarier type of playable city than most. But it also explores disorder, dystopia, and has the same things as any playable city project, freedom and letting go. 
Playable city projects use physical spaces to provoke change. I'm sure many of you have seen this, but I don't tire. Whilst I was researching this talk, I came across these, um, which use no technology at all, but do something similar to the fun theories piano stairs. They remind you you have an actual body and that you're in an actual place, something I think we forget when we kind of head down, rush through the city too often. So Hello Lamppost were the winners of our first International Playable City Award. Um, we put down the following rules last year. We asked people to come up with a satisfying and convincing experience that people of any age could play. We wanted something that would appeal to people across the city that you didn't need special technology for. Basically, not a city centre game for hipsters was the kind of rule. We had 100 entries from all over the world, and Pan Studios Hello Lamppost won, and it was installed in Bristol last summer. So in making this project, Pan and their collaborators asked themselves, what's the simplest thing we can ask people to do in a city? And for them, that was to send a text message. So what is Hello Lamppost? It's not a game, and it's not a toy. It is game-like, and we use the word player in it rather than user or audience. But perhaps that's because we lack better words to describe the people who interact with this kind of work. There's pretty much no clever technology in this. Its um, back-end is Twilio. There's lots of stuff online if you're interested in how it works. So it's more kind of simulation um, than AI. However... What was great about it is it turns out as long as something works, nobody really cares if the technology is pretty simple. Tom Armitage, the creative technologist who worked on the project, talked about designing it defensively. We learned that it was better to say nothing than to say the wrong thing. Although one of the things I really liked about it was that when you started to text different objects, they had a kind of character. So if you text a, um, a post box, it was kind of administrative. And if you texted a bollard, it was kind of defensive. So it kind of um, it, it started to uh, wake up these characters in the city. The thing it had to be designed for is um, the first experience. There's absolutely no point in creating something in the city that kind of gets better as you play it, and by the fourth or fifth text message, it's really great. You have to design for people playing something for the first time. So yes, we did put Easter eggs in. Yes, we did find kind of, we called them gateway objects to open up stories and narratives. Um, but we asked ourselves all the time, what are we competing with? And when you're competing with really hot weather and ice creams and a grommet trail of 80 massive grommets that had just been installed into the city, you better make it bloody good the first time. So American um, urban activist Kevin Lynch said, the landscape can orient its habitants to the past, to the cyclical rhythms of the present, and even to the hopes and dangers of the future. And Hello Lamppost just did this. It helped us to think about the city in new ways and to share our stories of the city in new ways. Shadowing is the winner of this year's Playable City Awards, and Jonathan and Matthew, its creators, have essentially hacked the streetlights of Bristol. So as they come on, the traces of those who've passed by before you are played back like shadows, reanimating the streets after dark. Obviously, I get to test stroke break every project uh, that comes in. So when this is installed next week, the, um, 
not that slide, anyway, let's go back to that one. When it's installed next week, um, people walking through the city won't be able to tell the difference between these lampposts and all the other lampposts, which is what I really like about it. It's installed within the infrastructure of the lighting system. And um, yes, obviously we've done two lamppost-related projects, but um, I think that is something about the ubiquity of them in the city. So this project acts as a reminder that we share the city with many others. It offers us a chance to interact with people who walk the same paths as us, but that we may not ever meet. It nudges us to connect with those who share the spaces. And in doing so, it raises questions about anonymity, community, and which one of those two things we value more. It didn't start out necessarily as a project um, exploring surveillance, privacy, and that, that kind of connectedness, but that's certainly part of the theme that's really grown. It uses the same uh, technology as CCTV, and this project potentially exposes its gaze. Um, it's being installed at the moment, um, and uh, it didn't work last night on our first big proper test, apparently, but I was here. So, um, so we'll see how people uh, use it next week, because the makers, Jonathan and Matthew, see shadowing as a tool, a toy, something to be used in any way. They talk about designing the software more like a chalkboard than a game. They hope it's going to be used in a friendly and playful way, but the design is really open to different use cases, and so we won't know what happens until next week. So back to uh, Sickart's book on why we play. Play is disruptive. It reveals our intentions, assumptions, conventions, likes, and dislikes. And in disrupting cities with play, we can go beyond fun to appropriate the context, in this case the city, with the intention of playing in it and with it. In that move, we can invite in new players, collaborate in new ways, and reveal and understand and change, hopefully, the context of the city. In the words of this morning, we can make new dark lanes and we can try and be fantastic. It certainly doesn't um, mean that we think £30,000 and some swings can um, fundamentally enable social change, but it can shift or start a conversation. Inclusivity is at the heart of Playable City. All our activity seeks to engage as widely as possible, allowing um, and giving permission for co-production and play. It couldn't exist without an audience, and that audience shouldn't be required to have special technology. The core of our Playable City concept is a, is a desire to create a different civic conversation, a new way to, uh, to start people-centric dialogues. So why do we do this? Well, this kind of thing, um, this is Nawajva in Helsinki. Um, 4,000 households and five major companies unplugged for one hour where, um, because the electricity consumption of the city was being projected onto that smoke plume of the power station in the middle of Helsinki. It triggered a mass conversation about open data, about electricity consumption, and provoked real change in the city of Helsinki. This um, is Folkestone Diggs from last week. Um, 10,000 pounds worth of gold was buried in Folkestone Beach by a company called Situations um, and a German artist. And when the tide is down, you can go. I don't think it's all been discovered. So you still can go and dig for gold on Folkestone Beach. What I really like about this project is something that um, the curator, Claire Doherty, said. So often public art funding is spent on static sculptures or baubles on roundabout. 
part of what we do is to say, actually, sometimes a temporary project can have as much impact in the collective memory of something that's been there a long time. And playable cities, cities that feel connected and engaged, enable this kind of thing to happen. So this is, um, uh, I think he's a six-year-old boy who was recovering from leukemia, and his kind of deepest wish was to save the city of San Francisco um, with Batman. So thousands and thousands of people joined in and collaborated on a city-wide narrative that involves a woman being taken hostage and them going to rescue her to kind of fulfill the dreams of this kid. So I hope I've shared with you that there are playable cities everywhere in the world. And I'm certainly not suggesting that we organize all the fun, because I reckon that's where no joy lies at all. But we're having our first conference next week. And to mark that, we're, asking, um, we're working with Guardian Cities and asking people to chalk the streets um, with things that are playful, things that are provocative. Um, don't, uh, we're going to give you chalk. Um, as you go out for lunch. So please um, go and chalk something amusing, lovely. Don't chalk in the building. That would be bad. Um, don't chalk a cock. That's kind of obvious. Um, <laughs> and if people look a bit grumpy, then maybe chalk somewhere else. Um, so get involved. Share your pictures on Guardian Witness, please. Um, I'll end this talk with a quote by T.S. Eliot, which might redeem me from the fact I just said cock. <sighs> we shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and to know the place for the first time. Thank you.